When it comes to working at GEICO, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she is so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At GEICO, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, GEICO has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside, she still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Fredericksburg? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Fredericksburg. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company. Everyone that is listening to the sound of my voice, wherever you are across the world, go see Uncle Tom. UncleTom.com. Stream it. Get the DVD. Again. Anyone that is listening to me right now, go see Uncle Tom. highways of america here's the podcast where we talk politics a little entertainment some culture and this and that from the road to your ears this is trend chat with your host brian bledsoe Welcome to another episode of Trend Chat. I am your host, Brian Bledsoe. And if you want to connect with us with our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, or TikTok, it's all the same at Trend Chat 24-7. So, yeah. As I said in the intro, go see Uncle Tom. I saw it recently at a film festival, which was the first time going to a theater since all of this pandemic mess. <laughs> but, um, and kind of got you know got an idea as far as how the movie theaters are going to be um, at least for the foreseeable future probably for the rest of the year but yeah uncle tom was a great documentary it was just talking about black conservatives and had a number of interviews with a number of people that i know actually that were in it and um yeah, it, it was a great film. I, I really enjoyed it. And so hopefully we'll have someone um, from the film on maybe next week. So we're trying to work on that right now. So also, I know, I guess the podcast has, has gotten a little bit of attention from a article from the Daily Signal. And so if you're listening to this for the first time, because you saw that article, you know, welcome, <laughs> and um, go back and listen to all the rest of the episodes too. So, <laughs> but um, um, but yeah. So I, my name was, I guess, one of nineteen of uh, black conservatives who were just stating why they are conservative, 
and I had and I was number two on that list and it, it was just like I may think maybe about 200 words or something but check it out at um, the Daily Signal and you should be able to find it it's uh the name of it is 19 black conservatives I forget think that 19 black conservatives I've forgotten the full title of it so but yeah so with that and also if like I said if some people were I noticed the I guess the engagement went up a little bit after after that was posted last week so that was that was nice so before we get any further I guess uh, I guess I could say where I'm broadcasting from but it's not really anywhere far I'm in Texas and I'm actually in North Texas uh, not at home but I'm in North Texas so that's where we're broadcasting from as of this recording and also we'll have Sarah Long with us and it's our interview just talking about history and been looking forward to having her on and so we'll play that interview pretty short um, shortly I put it that way because um, I, I just had a couple of things I know one thing I definitely want to get to before we get too far into it is that we want to make sure we shout out the locations and now I even added a sound to it to make it even more dramatic so yeah just to make it sound more epic I guess but <laughs> so I just want to do this because again I when I see the list of where people are listening and it's always just fascinating to me so anyway without further ado we're going to start from the bottom this time I guess to kind of build up a bit, uh, some um, in anticipation to who's at the top I guess I don't know but <laughs> as far as international goals or as far as countries I'm going to start there and we're going to start first with one place I have no idea why <laughs> um I, I I really would love to know who's listening from this place, but so we're gonna start off with the United Arab Emirates. So whoever you are, I would love for you to let me know. Send me an email. Send me an email, uh, trendchat247 at gmail.com or any of the social media. But not just the United Arab Emirates, but also Spain. You know, appreciate you listening. Italy. The Netherlands, France, Mexico, Canada, and of course, United States. So that's not surprising. So, and apparently I should be talking about this a little bit quicker because the song has run out. But you know what's going to happen? All I'm going to do is just start it all over again. Maybe next time I'm probably going to do this a lot quicker. <laughs> it's a minute and 30 seconds, so I should, should have done this a lot faster. But anyway, so. In the United States, we were starting with Melbourne, Florida. So I appreciate everyone listening there. San Jose, California, Baton, Texas, or Baytown, Baton, either or. To me, I don't know. But Grapevine, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Honolulu, Hawaii. And what's that? I'm losing my track here. Uh oh. Matter of fact, I think I missed. 
had some of them off. Anyway, St. Peter's, Missouri. Now, if you've been listening to Trent Chat, you probably have an idea who that is in St. Peter's, but I'm not going to let you know. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to listen to the other episodes and then you'll figure it out. So, <laughs> Allen, Texas, still North Texas area. And Washington, Virginia, which has been on there before. And at the top, at 25%, is Cheyenne, Wyoming. So, thank you. I guess everyone is Cheyenne. We're listening to Trench Chat. Right on time. Okay, I need to do that two times. All right. <laughs> yeah, so I always wanted to... I'm going to keep doing this. And again, if you want to hear your town or your country <laughs> on this shout out, I guess you need to tell your friends and, you know, like, share and subscribe. So, but I appreciate everyone listening. And I, I just, I, I'm forever grateful every time, every week and just seeing people are listening to the show and I am, I, I appreciate it. And so, wanted to just want to bring that up bring that up and like i hope to keep remembering to do this every time because I, I really want to you know highlight that and just show my appreciation for people who are listening to trend chat so now as i said we're gonna have our interview with sarah long coming up and talk some history and i know before the next episode 4th of July will pass so uh, first I want to say happy Independence Day um, if you're listening right now and it's Independence Day you know it'll be you know it'd be kind of nice if if my podcast is playing in the house with all these people so just in case someone does that hey everybody <laughs> I mean just in case you know how y'all doing I hope y'all having a nice 4th of July Independence Day <laughs> but um but yeah um this is going to be an interesting independence day with everything that's been going on with the with with the protests and riots and all all of what's been going on and especially you know with antifa and black lives matter and how they have a, a kind of a disdain for the you know the american way of life in a way where you see people burning american flags and that's been going on for the past month or so, a couple of weeks. And so now you, it's coming up on 4th of July. And, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, for one, the events, because of the pandemic, you're not going to have, like, the big, you know, gatherings as much um, or, or anything like that, maybe. I mean, you'll probably still have fireworks and stuff. But that it's going to be different just because of that. But it's also going to be different on top of this is probably going to be the most unique <laughs> independence day for those two reasons because of the pandemic and also because of how everyone with you know that are connected with the protests and riots and how they you know just kind of are pretty anti-american and they're out there and and so i i would just say i hope everyone stays safe um you know with all this i know a lot of anger is being stirred up right now and on both sides and, and especially around uh, independence day 
So that that could, um, you know, I hope cooler heads prevail and all of that, because you're gonna have people on one side who are gonna be super patriotic and gonna be, you know, showing their love for America, and you may have another group in the same space that are out there trying to burn the flag. So yeah, it, you know, with all with all of that going on, that may be going on or something like that. Just, you know, I just hope for the best. But um, but I was also, you know. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. I mean, you saw that couple out in Missouri where they were out there with one with the with their uh uh um I guess it was AR fifteen yeah AR fifteen and a pistol out there you know trying you know defending themselves. I mean, you come out to someone's property, and yeah, you should expect someone trying to defend it if you're gonna, especially if seeing what's been going on lately. So yeah, so. I really have no problem with what they were doing. I have a problem problem with what, how they were handling their firearms. Um, but then again, I mean, they didn't, uh, it's, you know, I think the wife had horrible trigger discipline and the you know, husband, you know, his muzzle, you know, could have, but hey, it's, it's, it's kind of nitpicking, but in the sense it's still, it's serious because all of that, you know, Handling the firearm correctly could, you know, be the difference between life or death or, you know, or going to jail or whatever like that. So it's definitely very important to have strong, you know, discipline and knowing what you're how you're supposed to be handling yourself when you have a firearm. So so luckily, luckily nothing happened with that. But also I have no problem with people uh, being out to to defend themselves. And I, you can say what you want. If you're someone that, you know, that maybe saw that and thought that they, was, they were overreacting, okay, well, you know, let someone run, run up on your property, you <laughs> know, and, uh, and to see how that feels. And so, but anyway, so, yeah, so, like I said, we're going to get to our interview. Got a couple more things. But before we get to that, want to hear a word from our friends at Young Americans Against Socialism. Hey guys, this is Morgan Zegers, the founder and CEO of Young Americans Against Socialism. We are a nonprofit organization working to preserve a free, fair, and prosperous America for generations to come, all by equipping our generation with the truth about socialism. If you're interested in watching our educational videos, donating to the cause, joining the Ask Coalition, or becoming a contributor, you can do all of these things at fightsocialism.org. We hope you'll join us in this crucial fight for the future of our great country. Thanks! What's going on? It's Brandon Tatum, and you're listening to Trench Hat. We here at Trench Hat, we are proud to be part of the 1776 Militia. Check out 1776united.com. They have a wide array of clothing, hats, shirts, art, and more that is fiercely patriotic and stylish to match. Go to 1776united.com, and if you put in the code TRENCHAT, you get 20% off your first purchase. Again, 1776united.com, put in the code TRENCHAT for 20% off.
All right. So uh, as I was just talking about, you know, that couple that were out in their front lawn, uh, front lawn, <laughs> as uh, protesters from, I'm pretty sure, I'm guessing they were from Black Lives Matter or something close to that. And they were there. I think they were on, well, yeah, they were on their way to the mayor's residence and to protest the mayor because uh, the mayor released a, a bunch of um, uh, names of people who were talking about defunding the police. Anyway, it, it became an issue and they were going to go protest her place. I think it's, I think it's a woman mayor, but, um, and so, but they came across this one couple, but anyway, and talking about, especially Black Lives Matter, I, I wanted to bring this up before we get to our interview with Sarah. And is a uh, one thing that I've been seeing is with all the protests that's been going on, and also with uh, every, you know because of of the death of George Floyd, and also with other. Um, other situations that has happened as well and also you know before and so one thing i've noticed especially in the church is that there have been a a lot of especially these mega churches that are kind of you know i would say kind of buying in into the whole idea of what Black Lives Matter is, I would say, is deceitfully put um, putting out there. I've mentioned before. I'm pretty. Sh I'm pretty sure that some of these churches don't really understand. I mean, they hear the term Black Lives Matter, so that you know, like a lot of things, it sounds nice, but you don't. There, there's a lot that goes into. The organization Black Lives Matter and the network around that, the other organizations that are connected to the the organization of Black Lives Matter. So, as much as you may want to try to separate that, you could try to separate as much as you want. But if you're going to just be out there and just in a way kind of endorsing uh, this group and if you if you don't know want to hear some inside scoop if your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are you gotta check out Kohl's I got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks Jansport backpacks for 25% off and 30% off Levi's jeans for me I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash so yeah not sure who's more excited right now me or the girls select styles 15% off friends August 15th Levi's coupons do not apply some exclusions apply see store calls account for details I mean, it's, it's kind of came out where they, where they said they they were trained Marxists, <clears throat> Marxists. So, <clears throat> and if you don't know, I guess if you don't know about Marxists, right? <laughs> one way, just to kind of get a little, just to simplify in a way, uh, Marxists comes from Karl Marx. 
Karl Marx is one of the authors of the Communist Manifesto. So that should tell you a, a lot right there. And that's coming from the leadership in Black Lives Matter. Now, for, I'll say for maybe a, a number of people who are listening to me right now, that was nothing new. But then again, I'm not going to assume everyone knows. But that is part of the leadership. And also, if you go to their website, there is a lot of language in there that is anti-Christian. Just put it that way. And from that, you, you're seeing all these you know, Christian leaders, like I said, part of like mega churches and just across the country that are kind of buying in to this particular message and see and by seeing by by seeing all of this right i know people especially on my side you know christian conservatives in particular and you know a lot of us are are very disappointed in seeing this also not surprising because there's a lot of what you call secret sensitive nature already out there so and and also, unfortunately, in the popular Christian world, we tend to want to jump on the trends. But, um, but um, that being said, all, you know, a lot of us tend to want to jump on and just say, uh, you know, why are you getting behind this group, and why are you um, not really, you know, discerning and and wanting to understand, or at least try to. They're trying to be sympathetic and trying to, you know, not be what what has happened in the past. And that's why I kind of feel like some of these churches are kind of stuck because they know what happened in the 60s or even, you know, 50s in the past. And where the church, you know, the white evangelicals were, you know, they they really dropped the ball as far as when it came to civil rights back then, back in the 60s and all of that. And so now they kind of see this moment right now is similar to that. And they don't want to make the same mistake. And so now they're just jumping on without question <laughs> on, um, on, on this. And so I, so I kind of have, you know, a, some sympathy in a in a way, even though I disagree with them um getting behind this group, getting behind this all of this in a way, I I, I do feel some way sympathetic about it because I feel like they just don't want to be on the wrong side of history again. <laughs> and they're just like out of out of that fear, <laughs> a fear of man, but out of that fear, they're jumping in on to a movement that is antithetical to I would say to a lot of what these churches are preaching <laughs> and like I said you go to their website whether it's Black Lives Matter or a movement for Black Lives or anything connected if you read what they're demanding it's not very Christian um, and I'm pretty sure someone will probably come along and try to twist it around and make it, make it sound Christian but yeah if you're going around talking about you want to you know, destroy the nuclear family and also, you know, and on and on and on. 
I would just say just go there and just read it for yourself. And you can, you should be able to see for yourself that it's definitely not uh, anything for the most part that, uh, especially for a church to get behind. Now, what I would like, I wish they would make the distinction because like I said, I know they, they have this um, urge to not want, you know, to not seem insensitive towards what's going on right now. But I wish more would just make the distinction to where, yes, we believe black lives matter. Yes, we, we totally are, you know, sympathetic towards what's going on. And we, we want to lend a helping hand. We want to be there for the black community. And I know it's going to be hard, but there should be a distinction saying that being said, we cannot get behind this particular, this group called Black Lives Matter and make the point as to why go into what their, what their, uh, their demands are and everything. And just said, this is not Christian and we can't get behind that. So, we are not going. We're not going to get behind this organization, and we're stating our reasons why. But that does not mean we do not believe Black Lives, you know, don't matter. We do. We believe Black Lives matter. But, but this organization is not the direction. This is not the solution to, to, um, to getting to that point to where, you know, it seems like that we're getting we're progressing in a way towards where we should, where we should be. And, 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 you know, we can get towards all the, the stats and everything that, as I mentioned before, you know, it doesn't, the stats bear that it's not the crisis that they're making it seem to be. So that's another thing as well. When I, when I say that, I mean like, you know, um, everything that's been going on make it seem like you know, like uh the police are just out there to kill black people i mean it, if you look at the stats that's really not the case and i think a lot of what's going on have no problem with protests like i said whether whether i agree with it or not you still you know have the right to protest but i just disagree with it based on the stats so anyway that's um that's just my two cents as far as what's going on in particular in in the church and, and and when it comes to you know Black Lives Matter. So we're gonna get to our interview with Sarah. Like I said, we're gonna talk about <laughs> we talk about history, but we also gonna talk about a little bit of makeup because if you looking at the title of this, she you know, she is the makeup historian. So you're hearing that you're probably like what does that kind of mean i don't i don't get that so we're going to get into that so matter of fact i'm not even <laughs> i was about to play something else but you know what i could just go straight to the interview so without further ado here's the interview with sarah hello this is trend chat and we are very pleased to have Sarah along with us. She is the makeup historian, as, I, as I've known and follow her on social media. You know, grateful to have her on just to talk history. And 
with everything that's been going on with uh, you know, unrest and riots and all that, and also in the midst of all that, there has been this movement to start tearing down statues, memorials, and all that. And so I just kind of want to talk to a historian about some of this and what's the, you know, what is the the ramifications of of things like this that are going on. So without further ado, how are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> so, so before we get into all that, first let's you know for everyone that don't know, um, who is the makeup historian? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the it's kind of my nickname, and it's a it's also the name for my podcast as well. But it's it actually comes from my own personal history. Before I became a a history professor, I actually worked as a professional makeup artist. So that's kind of where the name came from. <laughs> and then I remember I was doing um, makeup for a photo shoot one time uh, very early in when I was teaching history. It was just kind of on the side and a photographer told me, it's like, the name is really catchy. I think you should keep it. Just run with the makeup historian. So so I did. <laughs> so it's it's my nickname. And then it's also it was the inspiration for the title of, of my podcast. So and and for my show, basically, I use cosmetic vernacular to kind of act as the guide or the scope for the show. So I like to say that um, it showcases honest discussions about the beauty and blemishes of our past. And for the first season, it was just all my research um, interviews that I conducted, but I'm actually really excited for, uh, we started season two, but it, COVID kind of <laughs> threw off our schedule a little bit, but I'm very excited because the show is growing and the scope is expanding. And now, um, I mean, I never said that it had to only be my conversations that were showcased on, on the show. So I've actually have, um, some students who have conducted oral history interviews, and I'm really looking forward to being able to post those on the show and kind of, you know, give others the opportunity to have a place to publish an oral history interview if they don't want to go through the hassle of creating their own podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of um, a little bit about the show, a little bit about my name. Um, and I mean, I still love makeup. I still, I still buy lots of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, my life has taken a very different direction, and I, I'm very happy. I feel very blessed and humbled that I have a job that I genuinely love, which is teaching history. So, yeah. So so as far as when for you doing makeup, um, so, like, you, you, were you, like, on um, movie sets or or at a salon or, or, or what? I mean – I know nothing about makeup, so <laughs> I'm not going to be talking much about it, but I did I did want to know a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I actually started um, working as a makeup artist really young. I got hired at MAC Cosmetics just about two months after I graduated high school. So I was, I was you know, very young and fresh in the game, um, but MAC really helped give me a start to my career. And it started with working at different makeup counters that expanded to um, lots of fashion shows. And I did makeup for one TV show, but I didn't have a lot of experience in movies or TV. Most of the work I did was um, at a counter, different fashion shows, or I did a lot of wedding makeup. That was that was a huge part of my own freelance business as a makeup artist. So, I mean, you kind of you got to go wherever the gigs are. <laughs> so. Mm. 
you're you're a freelancer and the hustle is very real when you're a makeup artist you gotta you know you have to always be prepared for anything so it was a fun time it was a very busy and kind of at times chaotic time but but it was very fun <laughs> and so so after that, what, I guess what would be the transition into, I guess, into being a, a history professor? Yeah, you know, I get asked about that a lot. I think it throws a lot of people off. It's a very random transition, but it wasn't even, I don't even know if I would call it a transition because my love and passion for these two very different industries really started both around, eight, like, when I was 18 years old. Uh, so I started studying history pretty much right away as soon as I started college. I just, I, I took one history class my very first semester of college and fell in love with it and just continued to take more and more. But that was also when I was starting to work as a makeup artist. So it kind of got to the point after I graduated with my bachelor's that I was leaning more towards history. That was, I mean, I was very good at makeup, but my heart was in in teaching and in the history field. So that was what I decided to devote my career towards. Um, you know, so makeup, it was a, it's a part of my own life that I love and cherish, but it just wasn't where my calling was for the, the long term. Okay. And, and what would be, I guess, I mean, I don't know, is there like a certain focus um, that, you know, for history as for as a historian, is there like a certain, uh, I guess, expertise? <laughs> yeah, there's lots of different things that you can um, become an expert in. You know, you can specialize in all sorts of different fields in, in regards to history. There's a history to everything. <laughs> so yeah. um, for, for me in particular, I specialized in American, modern European, and public history when I was um, in grad school. So my, my two personal favorites are American and public history. Public history has to do with museums and all that goes into that. So I'm, I love museums and worked with many of them, but, you know, but American history is my other passion. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of different things that you can specialize in. There are religious history <laughs> professionals and, uh, I mean, it goes on. There's really, I'm, I'm trying to make cosmetic history an actual field that someone could test out of, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> oh, oh, so there's not a such thing now? No, there is no such thing as an actual cosmetic historian. So I may have the title, but like, I, I guess officially, but um, it's not something that is easily practiced because makeup in particular, it's, it's perishable. It's not made to last, and historians have to rely on sources, on primary and secondary sources. So the reality is, is that we don't have a lot to study. It hasn't been very well preserved. So. Well, I mean, I, I mean, just for someone like myself that knows nothing about about makeup, the first thing I'm, I'm thinking about, I mean, what if someone wants to know about the history of lipstick or something? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, and I. When I was in school, I, I tried to write a paper and about the history of red lipstick. I was fascinated by it, but that wait, was wait, you actually, time. wait, I just brought that <laughs> up. You, what, you actually did that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I wrote a paper. It never got published. I mean, I, I wrote different versions, but it, um, I kept running into the issue of not having 
enough of it properly preserved and it, it's very hard to find throughout the nation. So, um, and so I had a lot of ideas and theories of what I thought it meant to people, but the reality is, is I can't publish those papers if I don't have concrete evidence. And um, so it actually inspired me to, to found my own museum, which I'm in the process of building, which is the Museum of Cosmetic History. So it doesn't just include makeup, but all cosmetic industries. But I mean, building a museum is quite the task. <laughs> so we're wow. in phase. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it just, it just, I mean, of all the things I was thinking of, it was the one thing you actually wrote about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's fascinating. I mean, the, what I was able to research and what I found was very intriguing. You know, and I mean, especially I, it always kept coming up as, as red lipstick. And I noticed it, too, as a makeup artist. Uh, people usually have very particular reactions to red lipstick, you know, either they love it or they hate it. And then it also varies between men and women. So that was kind of what's prompted my curiosity about the subject. So I'm curious, I mean, do you have any particular feelings about um, women who wear red lipstick or any, you know, are there any, I'm always curious to ask men about it. (laughs) So, okay. So first thing I think about when I think red lipstick is a Robert Palmer video and uh, that's, I mean, yeah. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Want to hear some inside scoop? If your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are, you gotta check out Kohl's. I got my daughter's the cutest Sotox for under 18 bucks, Jansport backpacks for 25% off, and 30% off Levi's jeans for me. I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash. So, yeah, not sure who's more excited right now, me or the girls. Select styles. 15% off friends August 15th. Levi's coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store calls account for details. You said red lipstick. The first, that's the first thing I think about is those, the videos that Robert Palmer did. did um, 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 other than that, I, do I like it or not? I mean, um, it, I guess it kind of depends, I guess. But um, but I guess like my initial reaction to when you mentioned red lipstick, that's the first thing I First thing I would think about is that, and also the Shania Twain video that was a rip of <laughs> Rob Palmer um, video. So. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So. Yeah. No. I'm, I don't know if that was a sufficient answer for you, but <laughs> <laughs> no, all answers are good. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just always. Anytime I get the opportunity to ask someone, I I try to take it. So you know. See, that's teaching. So yeah. That, that's, get... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Very well, true. speaking of that, so as you said, you know, everything with the pandemic and COVID and all that has really turned the world upside down. And one thing when it comes to teaching, and so for you, so I'm guessing you had to do what Zoom classes as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we had to. So how was that? It, it was tough um, because when that happened, I was teaching at three different schools, and we really only had 
one weekend to transition everything to an online format. And obviously that was not enough time. So we were continuously working on updating our classes and getting used to the online format. I think because I'm um, on the younger side, I had an easier time transitioning uh, that quickly to an online format because I already used a lot of those tools in my classes uh, to begin with. But, but my, you know, it was really tough. I feel really bad for a lot of the teachers who maybe didn't have sufficient training in Mm -hmm. different techniques that you can use for online teaching, or they just weren't familiar with the softwares or just very simple things that I think as a millennial, I take for granted or don't think about. So that was, it was, it was a good learning experience for me, definitely. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there, it could have been handled better. (laughs) Uh, um, You know, I'll leave it at that, but. (laughs) Well, I think it just took everybody, you know, just by surprise and just having to learn all of that. Like you said, you know, there's, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of, especially older people who maybe had, you know, never even used any of this technology that just was like, it was just <laughs> to, to try to learn all that and then also teach your class to your students. And yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there was some that really had a very stressful time um, trying to deal with this. Um, yeah. Just, just with the technology alone. There was, and we actually had a training not too long ago and they, they said something that I, again, it was just not, something I thought of, but, uh, you know, a lot of my fellow instructors were bringing up the point that they had never even taken an online class. So if you haven't taken one, Mm. how would you know how to teach one? And that was something that I took for granted. I I admittedly never thought about that because I, I grew up on digital technology and online classes was just something I was thrown into, especially in my, my time in college. So I, I admit, you know, that was a good thing for me to learn and to take into consideration. But the technical side of stuff, yes, I, I don't think it was handled well. At, or some things were handled well. <laughs> Other things could be could have been handled better. But I think for me, the toughest part about it was uh, seeing my students go through a really tough time. There were a lot of issues outside of academia that teachers were having to deal with. Uh, And so it was really hard. I had some students who became incredibly depressed, anxious, uh, some where they dropped off the map. You know, it was hard to get in contact with them. So I was very worried just about the general well-being of my students and let alone trying to make sure that they still got the class that they paid for. That's my job. So I will say I'm very proud of my fellow educators for despite the challenges, you know, every single teacher that I know still got it done because we care about our students. We obviously didn't get into it for the money. So <laughs> you know, we, um, we still handled it. Yes. Nothing, everything didn't go perfect, but, and, and everyone had their own unique challenges. But as far as I know, and the teachers that I work with, they did an excellent job of making sure our students still got the class that they signed up for. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, the, I guess the toll that it you know, took on not only not only the teachers but the uh, students as well because uh, you know just not being able to I guess be around their peers and just kind of being stuck at home and and who knows with all the situations that may be going on mm-hmm. at home or having to deal with and just 
Yeah, I mean, having such a, a drastic shift like that, you know, going on can um, yeah, just you never know how some you know some people will react because depending on their circumstances. So, this is Trend Chat. This is Lacey Williams, the founder and president of Expressions Magazine, letting you know that you can order our quarterly magazine and support female conservatives by visiting express-conservatism.com, or you can follow us on social media on Instagram with the username of expressions underscore conserve mag or on Twitter with the handle of at express underscore conserve. Get your copy today. Hey, it's Lawrence Jones with Fox News. Check out Trend Chat with my brother Brian Blesso. Now that we've talked about, I guess, the history of, of, of makeup historian and everything. So now kind of go in a bit of your expertise and talk about public history and, um, you know, United States history. I kind of have some questions I've been wanting to ask a historian. So, and it kind of goes in with everything that's been going on. Now, the first thing I wanted to bring up is something that I saw from you, uh, what I think last week, because Juneteenth was recent, you know, recently. And, you know, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, um, had a press conference where she got up on behind the podium and just um, so proudly stated that she would be taking down um, portraits of four uh, previous speakers of the House uh, that were connected to the Confederacy. I actually kind of forgotten about, but just connect their connection with the Confederacy. And so, um, so she's going to take, you know, she had those portraits taken down. And I know one thing that you brought up (laughs) is that, Something that people probably, you know, probably won't even be told. I, I doubt media mentioned about those four speakers. Uh, they all were Democrats. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So from that video and seeing that what happened. Well, first let me ask: Did I describe that correctly? Yeah, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. I'm talking to a historian, so I want to make sure I'm correct. <laughs> Yeah, I think he did a great job. From that, I messaged you, and I don't know if you even got this argument, but I just know if if you were, I guess, on some cable news network, and and I'm pretty sure someone would put in the comments or or would quickly want to say like, well, well, that's irrelevant because you know the party switched. So, you know, just because those four were Democrats, that, that doesn't matter because since the party switched, that means those four Democrats are, were, are actually Republicans. And so that's something I hear all the time. And that's mm-hmm. and so this is what I, I want to have you on. And first off, I'm saying party switch and I'm look, I'm not going to assume everyone that hears me um, knows automatically what I'm talking about. So I'm going to ask you before we get further into it, just. Kind of explain when when that argument of the party switch and explain what that is. Yeah, well, basically, from what I gather from my own research, it's this belief that in the 1960s, the the Republicans and Democrats basically switched party platforms, which uh, is not accurate. <laughs> it's a little bit more complex than that. And I will admit to it's it's funny that you even brought that up, um, even when you messaged me, because I had had quite a few other people ask me about that kind of. Is that true? Is, did that big switch even happen? 
you know, and at first when people started asking me about it, I didn't know what they were talking about because uh, it was never ever taught when I was in school. And even in my college classrooms, when I was a student, I never heard a professor even mention that or that narrative. So to me, that's a little surprising when people start referring to that or that that even happens. I understand where it's coming from, but it's a very um, skewed perspective. And I mean, it's kind of this issue is very multifaceted and, and complex. And to put it simply, the myth that the parties changed is not accurate. What I think has changed, if there is a switch that has happened within recent society, is the public perception of political parties. But to say that their platforms have 100% changed or switched overnight is not accurate. So it's a little bit more complex than that. I hope I hope I'm answering your question. <laughs> well, so so what is uh, what will be that public perception that you're mentioning? I think the public perception would be now that the Democrats of today are trying to push is that the Republican Party is racist, that they have a racist history. And that is okay. not true. It's not true at all. Um, you know, but but I will say that Republicans and Democrats alike are guilty of something historians call source mining, where they pick and choose different sources to advocate a narrative that they really want. Um, so there, it's kind of that myth is connected to almost three different issues or, or many different issues for that matter, because I think in many regards, we're almost living through um, a rebranding of both of the political parties. I think it's very possible that within our lifetime, there will be no more Democratic Party or Republican Party. It's very possible that that could happen. Um, but it, it's yeah. it's very naive to say that I, I, I don't like the argument. <laughs> it's not a strong one. But I, I also think what was fueling it, too, I have heard some people say when they're advocating for that big switch narrative is that President Obama was kind of the ultimate symbol that the Democrats had come full circle. Yes, they had a checkered past, you know, a very blemished history, but they were the first to elect an African-American president. So I know for many people that's their justification that the Democrats are, you know, on the side of of minorities throughout our country. But so because of that, so so there's that's so that's one argument I haven't heard is that so because of that that has absolved the Democrats of uh, everything of their past because they were the first to um, get an African-American elected. Yes. I mean, right? I'm not saying I agree with that, but I have heard that no, as an explanation. Yeah, I just, I never, yeah, <laughs> just, I never, I haven't heard that argument before. It just, um, like I've heard different arguments myself. So one argument that I've heard that don't, and it's actually the only one that somewhat think about whenever that someone talks about the party switch and, a lot of people tend to want to just look at it on a federal level. And then so and so another argument I've heard that some um, would mention is that, well, it's not a, it's not about the switch on the federal level. As far as the U.S. representatives, they, um, they're focusing on that on the, on a state level, that the state legislators um, had a, a, a wider margin of switching than on the federal level. So where on the federal level, you had a, a, just a few that actually switch and maybe like one and maybe three or four that switch, but on the state level, it was, uh, it was on a, it was a higher rate. Mm -hmm. Well, I, that's not accurate either. 
That's um, all the one that that's the only one I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't look into I, I definitely didn't. I mean, I mean it, it's hard enough to try to go back and look at it through, from the federal level as opposed to trying to go through all the state records. Mm-hmm. I do think you bring up an important point, though, but uh, because many people who argue that will only look at not within the federal level, they're looking at only the executive branch and they're not thinking about what's going on in our legislative branch. So that's very different. Um, but with that being said, too, a, a thing I've noticed about the argument is that they're compar- comparing the two parties today as to what they were during the Civil War era. And throughout that time, they both went through several transitions. So there's been, I guess, I, I want to say switch is the right word, but there's been transformations within both parties, many of them. So uh, to me, the biggest issue of the whole myth in general is that people are looking at the Civil War era through a 21st century lens, and that automatically prompts people to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, In history, you have to be very careful to not look at a certain time through, you know, er your own era. You have to be mindful, and it, it does take practice, and no one's perfect at it, but you have to be able to put yourself back during that time. What was the platform of the Democrats? during the Civil War, what was it of the Republicans? And then if you compare it today, things like that. But what what, what are, worries me today is that we we live in a, this age of instant gratification. And unfortunately, both parties are guilty of finding sources that push their narrative. You know, I'm not pointing figure, fingers at like any politician in general, but collectively speaking, they both have done that. <laughs> So, I mean, even I looked up, uh, I, I recently checked the Democrats' website, and I, I thought it was very funny that in the section where they talk about their history, um, they start off with a brief paragraph talking about how, you know, we've been over 200 years and such and such. We've made these accomplishments, but the timeline that they present on their own website begins in 1920. So that in itself takes out a lot of their own history because the first Democrat to ever be president was Andrew Jackson, which is not him. He's a polarizing figure in American history as well. He, he didn't exactly do, you know, he has, he has his own blemishes (laughs) to put it simply. So so how, so how much, uh, how many years have they excluded by just starting from 1920 then? What do you mean by excluded? If they're, so, uh, so if they're just starting their history on the website starting in 1920, then how many years are they not including? Oh, well, Andrew Jackson became president. He officially took office in 1829. So yeah, so, okay. So yeah, over, about 100 years. Okay, yeah. I, I was yeah. trying to do it in my head for a second. I'm like, that's, like, that's, yeah. a, that's not a short short amount of time. Okay. So like almost 100 years. in Yeah. To be fair, you know, I did look at the GOP's website as well. And the problem that I noticed with their website is that finding the history section on their website is a little bit difficult. I do think they do a a little bit of a better job of giving a more comprehensive overview of the history of their party. But there are things that even they kind of left out, (laughs) you know, the, the not so good parts of uh, the history of the Republican Party. So yeah. that's, I don't, I'm sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> oh, no, I just saying, yeah. Yeah, I was just agreeing, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they both do that, but yeah. Yeah, so I I mean, 
I think I'm always very interested when I see different. Well, what, what stands out to me is that a lot of the people who are debating this myth are not actual historians. I, I have yet to, I mean, and I very well could be wrong, but I haven't seen a debate with a historian who is arguing for or against that because it's very uh, counterintuitive to our field in, in general, but it's mostly political figures who are arguing this. If I'm, at least that's what I'm noticing. Yeah, so, you know, because as soon as you said that, I was thinking about a debate, but like, I don't think neither one was a historian, though. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do, um, what I tell my students a lot is historians, well, if they're doing their job well, they're probably not going to be very uh, liked within society because they're telling the truth, and that's not always easy to hear. But, um, you know, historians, politicians, and lawyers do have incredibly similar foundational training in regards to how we're taught to um, acquire sources and how we're taught to analyze them. But what's very different between us is politicians and lawyers look at sources to prove things. Historians look at sources to understand. So it's very counterintuitive. That's why I was, you know, saying I, I have yet to see a historian who actually is arguing for or against this because that's not what we typically do. We're looking at sources to understand why or how something happened. Uh, so again, um, I've heard, I've heard people on both sides and within both parties uh, make arguments that do have pieces of truth in them, but then they also leave quite a bit out at times. So it's, I would say it's not true. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think there has been a switch in public perception of political parties, but to say that the platforms switched is, is not true. Um, and or to say that there's only been one switch at all is not true either. So if someone is listening and I guess if um, if you can give someone um, a source or where where to look for if someone that, that may be listening right now that believes that there was a switch, like mm -hmm. what what would they need to go to to find out? Well, I mean, I would always recommend the National Archives or local libraries, different local archives are always a good place to start. Your, um, whether they're at the federal level, state level, or city level, those are always good, good places to go to. But also different institutions, you can access most of them today, you can access online uh, pretty easily, not all of them, but I would go to the places that have archives that actually preserve these primary sources. I should point out too that um, when I say sources, I, I really would recommend that they go to the primary sources of that time, which they're referring to or trying to research. So, and to clarify, a primary source is something that was created or derives from the actual time we're talking about or is from the actual individual in question. Uh, a secondary source is something that is created uh, after the fact, after that event. So, uh, for example, a textbook is a secondary source. It's mm -hmm. It has a lot of primary sources within it, but the textbook itself, uh, depending on what time or the publication date, it may not, it's not actually the primary source. Yeah, so, it would be, it, so it would be just like, you know, when you look in the textbook you, and you see the references. And mm -hmm. so, and so the references are the primary sources, correct? Well, some of them are. Some, not some, some of them, yes. Yeah, some are secondary as well, but. 
Um, you know, but I, I would say to, I, I think just even trying to conduct research is a really good start because I've met lots of people who once they hear something that fits the narrative they believe in, they're kind of, that's it. That's where they stop. So if you're attempting to research at all, I think that's something that should be very, that I would, I respect that regardless of whether or not you agree with me, but I commend anyone who is actually going out there and conducting research. Um, and also I would, I would recommend that they, that they question everything, you know, even if it's a digital source, if you're looking at a website, you should start asking questions like who created it? Why did they create it? Uh, what are potential bias biases within, uh, the source or, you know, what's the objective? Why, why does someone go through all the work to create something? You know, I think just being inquisitive is, is a good thing in our society because a lot of people today are, in my opinion, I think many people today are leading with emotion and not logic. And I see that on both sides. Um, and not just even within yeah. the, the, with the Democrats or the Republicans, but even other political parties. Hello, Trend Chat listeners. If you like the Founding Project's civics education video series, Civics for All Ages, and our educational meme series, we think you will love our new website. Join us at thefoundingproject.com and be a part of the civics movement. The Founding Project is a 501c3 education nonprofit. Please join us today. This is Dana Lash, and you're listening to Trend Chat. And basically, that's what um, what we're doing. I know, like something you mentioned, as far as uh, having a mind a mindset, like you're you're projecting your values in in the 21st century, and you're judging the past with your present values. And that's kind of what we're doing now especially when it comes to the, you know, with uh, all these statues, you know, have been out. Well, for one, the statues have been vandalized and just being just taken down or being, you know, in the midst of all of this unrest and riots and that have been going on with the protests and stuff. Um, there's been this other underlying <laughs> um, issue of these statues being targeted in a way to being um, um, taken down. By, by a lot of these uh, protesters, I think that's kind of is what you know where people are just making the judgment based on their sensitivities now um, mm -hmm. on uh, on uh, all these you know historical figures. And when it comes to like the statues, um, I would just say statues in general because um, not only just what's been going on the past couple of weeks, but we've had all. You know, in the past couple of years where it, the, the the main focus has been Confederate statues mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that's been going on now. But also you have now they're just kind of going out there and it look like they're just going after a statue, any sort of um, statue that's of anybody. Because, I mean, now we're getting to the point where we're talking about taking down, you know, statues of Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it just it seems like it's getting crazy. But um, but. One thing I've kind of wanted to know, just in, in focusing on the Confederate statues, I always wonder, because first off, let me just say, like I've mentioned, this whole the vandalism and what's going on shouldn't be going on. But as far as anyone want to know, like, like what my personal stance is, I, I don't really have one, whether they're up or down, 
for one should be done by the people, you know, in this, you know, wherever it is, wherever city it is, it shouldn't be vandalized and, and, and torn down like, like they've been doing right now. If the, if the people in that city want the memorial or whatever, then it should stay up. If they don't, then they, if they vote to have it taken down, that's up to the people. And so that's where I stand on it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the, to the Confederate statues, I just kind of, I've always wondered, is that is it common for a country to have so, I guess, have so many memorials or statues to a lot of people that lost in, in a war, that lost the Civil War? I just, I, I don't know if that's a common thing for to have so many of them. Because I know when I hear the news about this Confederate statue was taken down, I'm like, why are there so many Confederate statues in the first place? I mean, like I said, I don't, it doesn't matter to me one way or another, but I'm like, why are there so many, given the fact it's on the losing side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Um, well, I believe that stat- these statues exist in the first place to keep um, the achievements and the failures of our past in public memory, because you know, out of sight, out of mind. And and that may sound like not a big deal, but historically speaking, um, when different statues or monuments have been vandalized or taken down like this before, what's on the horizon is usually never good. Um, but also public memory really only lasts about 20 to 30 years. And then after that, things start to get a little fuzzy. So, um, which is, is, is common and, you know, typical. So the fact that these statues even go up in the first place. It's not only the the ones that go up about people who maybe did not do things that were great, uh, you know, are not parts of our history that we are comfortable with or like. They go up there so that way the discussion still remains, uh, that it's in public memory, that the record or we're still thinking about it. And taking these statues down or vandalizing them and being very, uh, you know, particular about which ones you're taking down is concerning (laughs) as a historian. It definitely is. And I think people, I've met a lot of people who say they really like history. And then when we really get into it and they actually take a a legitimate history class, sometimes they don't like it because history is kind of like putting a mirror up to yourself. It puts you face to face with the truth. And that's not always easy to come to terms with. Uh, Historians You know, we talk about the good, bad, ugly, everything in between, whether you like it or not, whether it makes you comfortable or not. So I think in this particular scenario, taking down all of these statues, it's about they're taking them down because it makes us uncomfortable. But if you're having healthy discussions about our history, you should be a little bit uncomfortable because America is an amazing country, but it's a very young country. So it has a lot of room to grow. But we also have made we have changed the world in many regards, too. You know, there are amazing achievements within our history. So we're not perfect. We're a young country, but we have done some really amazing things. But but these statues that kind of make us remember the not so great parts of our our history, there's a point to that, too. It's so that way they stay in public in our everyday discourse, Um, because once it goes away, I mean, you're kind of at risk of having it happen again. So one thing uh, before what's before the you know what's been going on now is um, one argument I would hear, especially when 
um, whenever there's like a city council meeting where they're, I, I would say, actually, you know, doing it the right way where they're having a council meeting to decide whether they want to keep it up or not. And so in a lot of those meetings, uh, what I would hear from one side is that that it shouldn't be in a place of prominence, I guess, as a way they'll put it. That, you know, why would why would you have such a figure sitting in the middle of, you know, uh, town hall, you know, city hall somewhere, or why would you have it sitting, you know, in a place to be revered in a way, as opposed to putting it somewhere else, not not so much destroying it, kind of like what's what's going on now. They're like they just want to destroy it, mm-hmm. but they just want to take it out of that. Uh, they want to take it out of being put up on a pedestal, so, you know, in a way. And I understand, I understand the mentality behind that, but I disagree with it. I do think you, I I almost think. The things that make us the most uncomfortable are the things we should be talking about the most right now. Um, in many regards, America has become a very comfortable country. Um, our citizens have become very, I mean, I hate to say it, but we can be very spoiled at times. And we, ha- I mean, many today have kind of, not many, but there is a substantial amount of people who have kind of lost their grittiness and I think we need a little bit more of that in America. I think when we remember who we actually are and when we're taught our genuine history, we'll realize that. I mean, we, I've, I've seen people even romanticize the American Revolution, and it wasn't picture perfect like we teach um, in elementary school. It's unfortunately I've seen that happen. You know, so I, I think it's better if we do put the things that we're not so comfortable with, if we kind of bring them to the forefront so that way we can address them in a healthy manner and learn from them. Um, you know, but that's my, my own personal opinion. And um, I don't know. I know people will probably disagree with me on that, but yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, cause like, like I said, I'm thinking about when I see some of these, you know, like uh, meetings, you know, where they have these discussions and where, some just want to just take it down or just all together or, or they want to take it and put it in a museum. I guess other, other ways of how they want to deal with it as opposed to just leaving it alone. I mean, like, like I said, me personally, I just didn't, I was just kind of like, when, if, if you left to a vote, I would just I'd probably be abstain from it unless I absolutely <laughs> had to. <laughs> but, um, cause I just, you know, I was, I was very indifferent toward, uh, towards the issue. And so, but I always had that one question as far as just like uh, of the Civil War or some I, people want to call it the War of Northern Aggression. So, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> glad I have have you on to shed some light on it because it's yeah, always... and I hope I I hope I answered it adequately. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've just I have a of a clearer idea um, about it and just but either way, one I just. Want to say I appreciate you, you know, coming on, and also, I guess let us know what's next for, uh, like, for your podcast or whatever else you got going on. Yeah, well, what's next for the podcast is I have a few more of my my own interviews that I've conducted that are going to be coming up pretty soon, but um, I'm also going to be publishing uh, other people's oral history interviews. So I'm really happy about that that the show is expanding and. Uh, it's allowed other people to actually publish their research. So I think it's really cool. My show is a little bit different in the sense, you know, I don't have a set schedule. It's not, you know, like every month we have an episode. Uh, It really, it changes as as I change and evolve and grow. 
So I like it because it's a an interesting outlet where I can publish my research and one that allows me to kind of grow as a scholar as well. So the show, I mean, you know, it really is just simply about bringing on oral history interviews. Um, so any topic is is fair game, <laughs> um, which okay. makes some people uncomfortable at times, but that's history. It's not always pretty. You, It's just the truth. So I'm used to people not always liking what I have to say, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's my job as a historian is not to, you know, make everyone feel comfortable all the time. My job is to teach the, the history accurately. So, yeah. But, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I appreciate you being on, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Yeah. Oh, Thank you so oh, much. Hold up. You know what? Matter of fact, let's just wind that <laughs> back for a second. <laughs> okay. If people, if, if people want to want to reach out to you on social media and, and <laughs> want to get in contact with you, where would it go? <laughs> um, on Instagram, um, I'm at the makeup historian, and that's usually the best way to find all the different other outlets. Um, on on Twitter, because of you know how many letters you're allowed, <laughs> it's uh, at makeup historian. So those are the two main ha- uh, social media platforms that I'm on the most, and my website is being wrapped up right now. So hopefully that will debut um, in a month or so. And that will be uh, themakeuphistorian.com. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, too, because um, I'll get to showcase all of the different projects that I'm working on. And, uh, yeah, so um, that's kind of – and I'm also busy building a museum, <laughs> that, too. Uh, and my job – or my life doesn't really make sense at times, but it, it keeps me busy, and I'm very happy. So I'd say the best way to get in contact with – in contact with me is Instagram. That's the one I'm on the most and uh, where I respond the fastest. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yep. And thanks to Sarah for joining us. So that's it. And um, don't know what we're going to have for next, next week. Uh, but as always, you catch out well you you'll catch out you you'll catch it later on social media somewhere so until then we'll chat with you later want to hear some inside scoop if your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are you gotta check out Kohl's. i got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks jansport backpacks for 25 percent off and 30 percent off levi's jeans for me i even saved an extra 15 percent and picked up Kohl's cash so yeah not sure who's more excited right now me or the girls select styles 15 percent off friends august 15th levi's coupons do not apply some exclusions apply see store calls account for details And we're back with breaking news. The new Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. With an improved taste and zero calories, make sure... Jim. Ooh, yes. This tastes like the best Coke ever to me. We're on the air. I need to try it first. Con cero azúcar y ahora mucho más rica. ¿Será que la nueva Coca-Cola Zero Sugar es la mejor de todas? Descúbrela. Descúbrela. 